Like it or not, the senior and elderly population is vulnerable to negligence committed by medical professionals, nursing home and assisted living facilities, pharmaceutical and medical device companies, insurance companies, and everyday individuals and businesses. The Injured Senior Podcast is here to help. Steve Heisler is the creator of the National Injured Senior Law Center and has been advocating for seniors' rights for over 20 years. You have questions, and Steve Heisler has answers. This is the Injured Senior Podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is attorney Steve Heisler, founder and CEO of the National Injured Senior Law Center. I'm coming to you from beautiful Baltimore, Maryland. Now you're listening to the Injured Senior Podcast, where we educate and discuss issues of importance to the injured senior and elderly population and to the children and loved ones of the injured senior and elderly community. I am your humble host and welcome to the show. So if you've been paying attention to the news lately, you have surely heard that Johnson and Johnson is halting its sales of its talc-based baby powder in the United States and Canada. Now, why is that? Because thousands and thousands of J&J baby powder users have been diagnosed with ovarian cancer as a result of their usage of the product. Now, a lot of those harmed by Johnson & Johnson baby powder started consuming the product at a young age and are now members of the senior and elderly population. So that's why we want to talk about it today. But what put the final nail in the coffin for Johnson & Johnson talc powder was when it came to light that trace amounts of asbestos were found in a small lot of baby powder in the early 2000s uh, that uh, Johnson & Johnson got from their source. As a result, many individuals are claiming uh, they've developed mesothelioma from the asbestos that they got from using the Johnson & Johnson baby powder as well. So what exactly is asbestos? Where is it found? Why is it in a lot of products? And how dangerous is it? And what exactly is mesothelioma? Now we see the ads on late night cable TV from law firms looking for individuals who've been diagnosed with mesothelioma, but I must confess that I myself did not even know what mesothelioma was, and I am an injury lawyer. So we need to bring on an expert to educate us on this topic. Here today to chat with us and do just that is Sean Marchese. Now, Sean is a registered nurse at the Mesothelioma Center at asbestos.com. He has experience developing and managing respiratory oncology clinical trials and treatments. As a medical writer, he helps patients learn about new therapies in the fight against mesothelioma. Welcome, Scott, to the uh, podcast. We are very, very happy to have you here. How are you doing today? Hi, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Um, you did call me Scott, though. I don't know if maybe you want to restart. Did I call you Scott? Uh, I, <laughs> I apologize. It's Sean it Marchese. I don't know any Scott Marchese, so <laughs> I promise, Sean, if I do it again, then you can just hang up. 
Okay, so yeah, you can just end the the interview. No, you're fine. Okay, so let's start first by having you tell our listeners what asbestos is. Sure, asbestos is actually the name given to six different naturally occurring minerals. These minerals are found in the dirt, and what makes them so dangerous is that they're comprised of these friable, fibrous, needle-like material that is microscopic and can degrade and, and be released from these minerals pretty easily. So asbestos minerals that are mined from the ground were found to be resistant to heat, electricity, and corrosion, so they ended up being used in thousands of consumer products, construction materials for over a century. So asbestos use and mining had started back in the 1800s. So as I was growing up, uh, I was born in 61, but in the 70s and 80s, we heard that ship workers and a lot of blue collar workers were coming down with asbestos. Why is that? Yeah, uh, blue collar workers are the uh, primary population that has been affected by asbestos over the years. And that's because asbestos is linked to industrial engineering fields and also the military. So the United States military has used asbestos in their Navy ships primarily for decades. And while they weren't part of necessarily the cover-up of asbestos uh, health issues that occurred throughout the uh, 20th century, they definitely were using the material in, in many of their vessels and ships. And so veterans actually make up a significant portion, about 30% of mesothelioma lawsuits. And again, blue-collar workers are the number one population to be affected, working in industries uh, such as mining, uh, construction, all sorts of blue-collar fields. Now, with that being said, I was listening to a podcast last week, and the uh, podcast was about how loads and loads of asbestos was found in housing in Europe, specifically the UK, United Kingdom. Why is that? Why, why would they use it in, in housing or in the building materials? Sure. Uh, asbestos is, is, was primarily used for construction materials throughout the 20th century, starting in like the 1920s, 1930s. One of the, the big manufacturers was uh, Turner and Newell over in Europe, and they were uh, using asbestos for uh, roofing tiles, asbestos cement, for piping. Pretty much from top to bottom, uh, most uh, housing materials uh, can be traced back to, to having asbestos. And again, it's because that material, those natural minerals, are resistant to heat and electricity and corrosion. So they can be used in shingles, in floor tiles, and in insulation because it was a great material to use at the time. And uh, the health benefits weren't really brought to light until much later uh, around the 1970s. Right. Isn't asbestos uh, fire retardant too, fire resistant? Exactly. Yeah, that's one of the reasons it's so popular. Got it. So how did asbestos get into the Johnson & Johnson talcum powder product? Right. Johnson & Johnson was aware of asbestos in its talc uh, dating back to the 1970s, actually. And asbestos isn't necessarily a useful product in talc, but talc uh, that gets mined for products such as baby powder and makeup is sometimes cross-contaminated with asbestos. They're mined in similar locations in the earth. So asbestos can end up in this talc. Johnson & Johnson knew about the asbestos in their talc, but uh, they didn't really make it public or do anything to halt the uh, production of these consumer products. Yeah, that's reprehensible. 
And uh, we're going to talk about that in, uh, in a little bit. Can you tell the injured senior community and our listeners, what are the health consequences from asbestos exposure? Yeah, the primary uh, disease that asbestos exposure can cause is mesothelioma. Uh, and more than 3,000 cases are diagnosed every year in the U.S. And mesothelioma is a type of cancer. It is cancer. Um, specifically, it's cancer of the mesothelium which is a type of tissue that lines the inside of the body. The most common type of mesothelioma is called pleural mesothelioma, accounts for about 75% of the cases, and that affects the lining, the tissue lining that surrounds the outside of the lungs, the chest wall, uh, and the diaphragm. So most of the structures in the thoracic cavity have this tissue lining called the pleural mesothelium. So tumors can form against the chest wall, on the outside of the lungs, on top of the diaphragm, and that's pleural mesothelioma. Uh, there are other types as well. Okay, but the main is pleural, you said 75%. Doesn't the fibers from the asbestos fall like to the bottom of the pleural region or the lungs, and that's why it's so dangerous because it kind of gets really to the bottom and inside uh, where it can do the most damage? Once it's in the lungs, it can actually spread to any physical area of that pleural tissue. So as the fibers get inhaled through the nose and mouth, um, they end up in the lungs and, and they do fall to the bottom of the lungs, but they're transported by the body through the lymphatic system, which is kind of like a drainage system of the circulatory system. And those fibers can't escape outside of the lungs. The body can't break them down and they can't go anywhere else. And instead, they cause inflammation, tissue scarring over the course of many years, several decades. So this disease builds up over time and sometimes symptoms appear 30, 40 years later when it's much too uh, late to have caught it earlier. So it's not going to be, you're not going to inhale it and then show signs of it a couple days later. It manifests itself decades later. Correct. Yeah, the earliest we've seen symptoms appear uh, or the formation of mesothelioma from asbestos is about 10 years. But typically, it's about 20 to 30 years that symptoms show. Got it. Do you know what the average age is of the person who comes down with mesothelioma? For sure. The average age of a mesothelioma patient is 69 years old. Um, that's primarily the, the, most, um, age, the age group that's most affected. And that's because, again, of that long latency period. So uh, these people were affected during their working years, right, from their 20s to their 40s, and then symptoms show about 30 years later, and that's when they're diagnosed with mesothelioma. Got it. So once diagnosed with mesothelioma, what is the life expectancy? It's, it's an insidious disease, and mesothelioma patients uh, survive for about 12 months on average after they're diagnosed with treatment, with aggressive treatment, and if it's caught early enough, uh, it can extend survival uh, up to two years. And sometimes Patients do go into remission and can survive for multiple years after their diagnosis, but average life expectancy is about 12 months. Okay. Well, are you seeing more of the former or the latter? Are most of them, unfortunately, uh, succumbing to the disease after a year to 18 months, or are you seeing more and more now that are living longer? Uh, we're, we're seeing advancements in treatment, for sure. Um, one of the more recent advancements uh, is in immunotherapy. Keytruda is a, is a drug that was recently approved by the FDA uh, just earlier this week to be used as a second-line treatment. 
So doctors are using uh, multiple lines of therapy, immunotherapy, chemotherapy, surgery, and, and they're developing new techniques to keep these patients alive longer. And so we are seeing some survival extend past uh, one or two years, and, and hopefully we can push that further out. Well, is the research and development of new therapies and new medications, does it look promising for the future that uh, meso victims can survive longer? It does, yeah. Meso survivors really should uh, have hope for, for the types of new technologies and therapies that are being explored. Um, there's clinical trials ongoing every day uh, looking at new ways to combine treatments or new ways to uh, advance surgery or radiation and other therapies. So there's, there's plenty happening in the meso world that, that gives patients hope. Well, that's great to hear. Sean, so what about asbestosis? Isn't that another disease that you can get from asbestos exposure? That's right. Asbestos doesn't just cause mesothelioma. It can cause uh, lung cancer, which is cancer that forms within the lungs. Asbestosis is a type of pulmonary fibrosis, which is a long-term scarring of the lungs. So instead of developing into a cancer, asbestosis is what happens when the asbestos fibers in the lungs just continually damage and kill and scar healthy lung tissue. So it's like pulmonary fibrosis where it degrades the breathing quality and the effort that you can give to each breath over the course of uh, your life and treatment will just have to uh, increase. So it doesn't kill patients as quickly as mesothelioma, but it's, it's a, it's a long-term chronic respiratory issue like COPD that patients have to live with. Okay. So Sean, uh, lung cancer survival rates, are they about the same as the, uh, the mesothelioma or are they better or what, what exactly is the case? Lung cancer, we typically have better screening efforts for um, better diagnostic treatments um, that can catch lung cancer earlier. We have a bit more of a history treating lung cancer and more patients are affected. So there is a bit higher of a survival for lung cancer patients than there is mesothelioma. And again, part of that reason is that mesothelioma develops over such a long period of time and symptoms don't show until it's so advanced treatment options are very limited for mesothelioma compared to lung cancer. Right. So, Sean, you uh, said earlier that Johnson & Johnson knew since the 1970s that their talc-based baby powder had asbestos in it. Did they give any reason why they didn't inform consumers of this situation or the danger of the asbestos starting back in the 70s? Yeah, well, these documents didn't come to light until um, about 2017 when these uh, lawsuits against Johnson & Johnson started taking off. But this was the first time the public was aware of these internal documents uh, showing asbestos in their products from where they were getting their their talc uh, sources, their mines. And Johnson & Johnson did not inform the public. They concealed their knowledge that uh, the, the mine that they were using in Italy was uh, contaminated with asbestos, uh, the the talc mine. And these documents were circulated internally, and it was just a business decision over over those decades to to not recall those products. They did internal testing, and again, they refuted claims that their products contained asbestos, but it was through um, environmental agencies that did independent testing that proved that there was uh, asbestos in their products. So is this just unique to Johnson & Johnson, or were there other 
companies that produced baby powder or, or similar products that also knew that asbestos was in their products and didn't say anything. That's right. Uh, so it's, it's certainly not unique to Johnson & Johnson. The other major uh, baby powder company that was affected was uh, Gold Bond. It's unclear if, if uh, the manufacturers at Gold Bond knew about the presence of asbestos in their talc, but they have also been named in lawsuits going back um, a couple decades. Um, and then beyond uh, baby powder, of course, talc is present in a lot of makeups that are on shelves right now. Chanel is one of the largest uh, named companies. And then uh, Revlon, most recently, has reported that it's stopped using talc in many of its products, but not all of its products. Talc is used to soften and bind their makeups. And again, asbestos can be cross-contaminated in their talc as well. Well, I mean, Revlon is synonymous with cosmetics, so it doesn't get any bigger than Revlon. You said that they're being mentioned in lawsuits. I know that you're not an attorney, but do you have any knowledge as to where exactly litigation is as far as uh, asbestos and talc products? Sure. Yeah. Johnson & Johnson is, is taking the brunt of the hit right now in terms of litigation. They're, they're being uh, linked, the, their talc products are being linked primarily with ovarian cancer which is a cancer that can be caused by asbestos, and especially when it's used uh, for baby powder purposes. I, I did not know that. I thought the asbestos uh, was totally, had nothing to do with, uh, with that. Yeah, there, there's been research most recently. That there, there had been correlations before, but uh, a lot of research has proven there's a definitive link between the asbestos and ovarian cancer, and uh, it comes back to uh, these talc-based products. And uh, Johnson Johnson is the is the primary uh, uh, defendant in most of these cases. And where and where are they in the litigation right now? In terms of uh, reaching settlements? Yeah, or, or, I mean, have any cases gone to trial? Uh, are they settling most of the cases? Yeah, let's start with that. Yeah, Johnson and Johnson's been um, settling cases outside of court for years. Absolutely. So, Sean, uh, and and by the way, this is just some fantastic uh, knowledge that you're you're giving to us w what about first responders are first responders more susceptible to to getting uh, asbestos that's an excellent question um absolutely one of the big events that brought asbestos to the forefront of people's thoughts were was 9/11 when the two towers fell the the uh, dust that was released contained significant amounts of asbestos and uh, the first responders that were involved ended up developing asbestos-related diseases within the years that followed. And, and we're seeing a lot of them now, obviously, being 20 years removed. But first responders, even in uh, smaller communities, firefighters, uh, paramedics who go to scenes of um, fires and floods, can be exposed to asbestos in, in pretty large amounts, especially when they are in older communities that are with houses built before the 1980s when asbestos stopped being used in construction materials. So these older houses from 1980s and earlier contain asbestos. And when those uh, construction materials, the insulation, the roofing, and the floor tiles uh, get destroyed in tornadoes, hurricanes, fires, and flooding, uh, the first responders are the ones first at the scene to be exposed. And a lot of times there isn't the time to take necessary precautions and, and protect these first responders from exposure. So are you seeing higher rates of uh, asbestos disease in first responders or firefighters? Yeah, 
for sure. They, they are, they're one of uh, the higher populations as well, alongside blue collar workers that um, can be exposed on a regular basis. And the blue collar workers, I know we talked about it earlier, they were in the shipyards and you said mining. So are, are we seeing a, a higher rate of exposure to the miners or ones who might be mining something near uh, asbestos or, or the like? Yeah, mining any type of minerals uh, near an asbestos mine uh, or in similar locations presents a huge risk. And, you know, the, these are some of the workers who, who might ignore symptoms early on and just attribute it to, to their work and to their career. But it's, again, an insidious disease. It mimics a lot of other respiratory disorders. And uh, mesothelioma is something that not, should not be taken lightly. So people who work in these industries, mining, firefighting, they need to uh, inform their healthcare providers that there is a chance that they have been exposed to asbestos on the job. And uh, that can help help them get a more accurate uh, diagnosis earlier on and hopefully provide better treatment. So when they see their medical provider and they tell their medical provider that they have likely been exposed to asbestos, would the medical provider like give them a yearly x-ray or what type of preventative medical treatment would they undergo? Yeah. When a healthcare provider is informed that their patient might possibly have a history of asbestos exposure, it signals a whole new set of alarm bells that they can use to order the right tests. Uh, one is a, is a PET CT scan, which is a type of uh, intense x-ray scan, which will uh, highlight any areas of cancer or tumor development. Um, they'll also know where to look in the for these nodules. Sometimes they can be really small, but if they're in a specific location, it gives the healthcare provider an idea that it might be a mesothelioma disease rather than a lung cancer or something else. To confirm, though, it does require a biopsy. But again, if the idea is there that it's a possible asbestos-related disease, uh, that biopsy gets ordered sooner and treatment can start a lot sooner. And you had said earlier that once uh, when the average person who is 69 gets diagnosed with mesothelioma, they've only got about a a year to 18 months to live. But moving forward, when they're doing the PET scans uh, and looking for nodules and all that, and they're able to uh, get to it earlier, and if they find it and treat it, does that increase the, uh, the lifespan, uh, life expectancy of, of the person who's uh, been diagnosed with it? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. If, if it gets uh, diagnosed earlier in, in the progression of the disease, uh, more treatment options are available, such as aggressive surgery. One's called a, a pleurectomy, a pneumonectomy, which removes the, the entire pleural lining from the thoracic cavity. Uh, it removes the affected lung and even portions of the diaphragm. And it's an extreme and aggressive surgery. Um, so that's why only patients who are diagnosed early in the disease can receive it but that's been known to extend uh, the life of patients uh, for, for years later, and then they go on maintenance treatment. So the sooner it can be diagnosed, the better. Yeah. I mean, it's extreme, but it, it'll save your life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. How can our listeners reduce the risk from asbestos-containing products and materials? Yeah. But knowing where to find it is, is the primary uh, thing to keep in mind. Talc-based products, like we talked about, um, working at uh, baby, ta- baby powder, makeup products, anything that has a soft powder that might contain talc, I would look at those and try to avoid and possibly find something similar that uses uh, an alternative to talc. But asbestos is also going to be present in, again, a lot of these older construction materials and housing materials. 
And it's typically safe if it's contained within those materials, like roofing tiles and floor tiles. But if there's damage to those, if uh, there's exposed insulation in an older house, that's a huge asbestos risk as well. Um, and something uh, homeowners should keep in mind. And they can hire an asbestos abatement company to come and test it and remove it safely and make sure that there aren't levels of asbestos that are uh, in the air within their house as well. And then again, veterans should also keep in mind that there's a chance they were exposed if they served on uh, vessels in the Navy or the military in uh, the 60s to 80s. So when you talk about the asbestos in, in housing and that uh, people that have been living in homes that were built I said, you think you said before the, the 1980s or up to the 1980s? Is that right? That's right. Asbestos became regulated in construction materials in the late 1970s, and then production stopped in the early 1980s. So uh, houses all the way up to that point were using a lot of these uh, construction materials. In, and again, they're in houses, they're in commercial buildings, they're in schools. So any, any building that might have damage and contain some of these older materials is going to be a risk. So should our listeners go as far as not to hang photos uh, or frames on the wall? Because if they're hammering on the wall, that could somehow ignite the asbestos or something like that. No, that, that risk, that kind of risk would be extremely minimal. And instead, uh, I, would, I would inform them to keep in mind if there's damage. So if, if you're remodeling, for example, that could be a huge issue. Some people like to test for asbestos in their house and remove things like uh, popcorn ceilings can uh, possibly contain asbestos. And some people will go in and, and scrape the popcorn ceilings themselves to get a sample, but that's going to cause an issue because it's releasing that dust. And anything that kind of frees up the asbestos from the material is what's going to cause a big risk. So nailing a hole in the wall won't really do it, but if there's any kind of big changes to structure, uh, it's a cause for concern. And can a one-time inhalation of the asbestos cause uh, mesothelioma or does it have to kind of be more repetitive or over a longer period of time? Unfortunately, one-time exposure is sometimes all, that, all that's needed. Again, it, it depends on the dose and the concentration of the asbestos. Um, and it, you know, it's impossible to say how much is contained within the small amount of damage that's done. But even one-time exposure can cause respiratory issues down the line, but that, those chances increase with re, uh, increased exposure for sure. Right. That is really scary. Uh, that, I mean, I, I uh, grew up in a house that was built in the 50s, and we obliterated that house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we just, yep. we made additions, we did this, we did that. So, you know, uh, I, that's, yeah. that's something that I should think about and take into consideration. I should probably be getting yearly uh, x-rays or PET scans. So. Unfortunately, a lot of those manufacturers of construction materials knew about these health risks, uh, you know, dating back to the, to the mid-1900s, but consumers weren't informed. So yeah, a lot of people like yourself who did renovations on houses or uh, worked in, in uh, dangerous mining conditions didn't think to uh, explain or prevent uh, some of these um, diseases that could have cropped up much later in their life. As far as I'm concerned, that that's criminal. That that this was kept a secret and intentionally kept from uh, the American public. But that's just my two cents. Sean, thank you for this indispensable information. Really, uh, I learned a lot. That uh, you know, I did a little bit of research, but I learned a lot more just from spending this 30 minutes with you. But we you know we have to call it quits for the day. Unfortunately, we're out of time. So. 
Let me ask you this. Can you tell our injured senior community a little bit about the website, uh, asbestos.com? Absolutely. Uh, we're the mesothelioma center at asbestos.com and you can find us at asbestos.com, A-S-B-E-S-T-O-S.com. Uh, we're a patient advocacy group. So we reach out and try to inform the community about asbestos exposure and asbestos related diseases and provide them with the knowledge they need to avoid exposure or get in touch with healthcare providers that know how to treat these diseases. A lot of the people we see and talk to are caretakers of uh, older patients, their uh, sons and daughters of veterans who are concerned that um, you know, their parents were exposed while serving. So we offer information and resources for basically anyone that's concerned about the history of asbestos and mesothelioma and other asbestos-related diseases. By the way, can these vets make uh, VA disability claims? Absolutely. That's one thing we help them with for sure. So depending on uh, when they served and where they served, um, we help uh, veterans file claims all the time. Great. Now, if they go to asbestos.com, what can our injured senior community find as far as resources? Absolutely. Um, we have timelines of uh, companies that were involved in asbestos cover-ups. So if they're looking to find out more information on, on what companies were involved and in what products, we have all that information. We have patient advocates who are a group of people that reach out to, to patients who are looking for help getting in touch with doctors and treatment centers who believe they just received a, a recent diagnosis and uh, need to know the next steps and how they're going to treat this disease, which is very rare and incredibly debilitating. But we also offer resources to veterans, again, like, uh, like you mentioned, helping them file claims and, and getting the benefits that they deserve. So and anyone who has any kind of interest or concern about the field, uh, we offer resources. That's great information. Where can our listeners find you if they want to communicate directly with you? Can they, uh, can they email you or what's, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I love talking to patients all the time and even people who just have questions out of interest. Um, they can email me at S-M-A-R-C-H-E-S-E, -E, which is smarchese at asbestos.com. And they can also just call my number too. My personal number is 407-569-3185. And again, I love talking to, uh, to patients or concerned uh, children of, of uh, parents that may have been exposed to asbestos. Yeah, and listeners, uh, write that cell phone down because if you want to obviously get an expert to talk to and get you valuable information, you might want to give him a call, but he probably would prefer an email first. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, so yeah, emails are great. Yeah, you work your way up to the phone call. That way he knows you're calling. What about social media, Sean? Where can our uh, listeners find asbestos.com at the Mesothelioma Center on social media? We're the Mesothelioma Center on Facebook. Um, we're also the Mesothelioma Center on Twitter. And we also have uh, YouTube videos that uh, are, we, we try to educate people with um, on, on YouTube as the Mesothelioma Center. So searching Facebook or Twitter or YouTube for the Mesothelioma Center or asbestos.com will get you to our pages. That is great. Sean, thanks again for spending some time with us. I know you're a busy guy, so we are definitely indebted to you. Injured senior community, if you have any questions or want to just talk to us about any legal issue, maybe asbestos or, or mesothelioma, 
feel free to contact me at the National Injured Senior Law Center. That's uh, www.injuredseniorhotline.com or email me at info at injuredseniorhotline.com. Also, if you'd like to audition to be a guest on the Injured Senior Podcast, such as telling your story as an injured senior or elder or as the child or loved one or caregiver of an injured senior or elder, again, email me at info at injuredseniorhotline.com. Well, senior community, if you liked the content we discussed today, and we had some great content from Sean Marchese, feel free to head on over to our show notes where you will find a summary of today's show and any important links we mentioned in this episode. Also, always feel free to reach out to me again with your own story, any questions at info at injuredseniorhotline.com. Finally, please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. And if you would be so kind, rate and review us. And at any time, feel free to let us know how we can improve the podcast. Thanks again for listening to today's show. Be sure to tune in to next week's show. I will talk to you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Injured Senior Podcast with Steve H. Heisler. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more or to get help anytime, go to InjuredSeniorHotline.com or call 855-622-6530. We'll see you next time. 